Hi, I'm David Crabb, and welcome to Stories in Session, a show devoted to the art and craft of contemporary storytelling. What we're going to do here is explore storytelling from all angles, topics, and genres. We're going to hear some of the best stories from live shows across the nation, and we're going to sit down and talk with the experts and amateurs who told them. I'm David Crabb, and stories are now in session. Growing up as the only child latchkey kid of a single mom who pretty much spent all my days in the mall or at home with uh, over 100 channels of basic cable, I very quickly learned to ask some inappropriate questions and say some inappropriate things. One time after very loudly asking a question in public, my mother said, Honey, maybe that's an inside thought. Now, the problem with my mother's advice was that I misinterpreted it to literally mean inside, indoors. I didn't realize my mother meant that maybe some things were personal, internal questions. I took it to mean that I could pretty much say whatever I wanted, whenever I wanted, as long as I was not outdoors. If you listen to some of the different stories I've told indoors at theaters and comedy clubs, you will realize quickly that this is an idea I have not let go of. As long as I am indoors, nothing's off limits. And it turns out, I am not the only one. Today on Stories in Session, we're going to be talking about bearing it all. Why do people want to share their sexiest, frankest, most intimate, and sometimes most cringeworthy, embarrassing moments on stage to a room full of strangers? Later, we're going to be hearing a story from our special guest, Julia Rossi. Uh, the more I got interested in boys, I got less interested in inanimate objects. And I was uh, interested in one boy in particular, this guy, Rick. Uh, he was very popular. Uh, I gave him my first hand job during the movie Mighty Ducks 2. Um, Julia has been telling stories for years, many of them at the show Strip Stories, which she co-hosts and co-produces with Margot Lightman. Thematically, Strip Stories is about sexuality and desire and romance. People get really real and really vulnerable in that way that makes you want to stop them and say, are you sure you want to tell me this? But at the same time, you're saying like, please tell me more. Please tell me the next part. Oh my God, please stop. Don't stop. And without further ado, here is Julia Rossi. Uh, we're talking to Julia Razi uh, specifically about bearing it all on stage, uh, telling stories about sexuality and the body in front of an audience. Um, how does shock value and the cathartic nature of I've never told this to anyone type of stories work in the medium? I think I have gone through moments where I've wondered if what I was doing was just self-serving and been like, God, I should just write this in my diary. Like, what is the point? But I've just learned more and more that it's like the more you expose, the more you share, especially when it's embarrassing for you or scary for you, the audience and you kind of mutually benefit from it. Um, And I think it's not that storytelling or performing or comedy replaces therapy, but I think it's a really great therapeutic element because we're all insane (laughs) so I think by going up there and sharing how crazy or weird or hurt or sad or pathetic you think you are it just makes other people you just relate to people and it just makes people feel less lonely and you know strange 
Why do you think that people divulge uh, details about their sex life and their uh, relationship history on stage? I think that sex and relationships are, well, first of all, it's the most, one of the most universal topics that there is. Whether you're in a relationship, not in a relationship, getting laid, not getting laid, asexual, whatever it is, you have some, you were created, unless you're Jesus, I guess, um, through intercourse. So everyone has some connection to sex and relationships. And I think we're all trying to figure out the answer of like, who's the one? What is love? All that stuff. And it's unexplainable. I get so annoyed when you like open like a magazine and it's like, these are things not to do on a first date or like, this is how you get a man and all this stuff. And it's like, that is absurd because there's no one size fits all to dating a relationship. So I think the reason why people love talking about it, hearing about it, telling stories about it is because just when you think you've heard it all or just when you think you've heard like every like romantic or not romantic story, there's like another one because there is no, in, you know, definitive answer of how it works. Does that make sense? Yeah. It is like my favorite. I mean, my two favorite topics currently are like dating, relationship, sex. And then also I'm fascinated with social media and the psychology of social media. So those are like the two. If there's anyone who wants to hire me to host a show about either topic, like those are the things that. Do you remember that time Julia Rossi used the show as a way to get a job? <laughs> I need a job. <laughs> Well, no, I think I think one of the cool things about it, too, is that you could hear 50 different stories that are about 50 different relationships, but they're probably going to awaken very similar feelings in you in, just in different ways. I remember desiring someone like that. I remember having my heart broke like that. Mm-hmm. I remember being cheated on like that. But what makes them all so great is that it's like 50 different people that yeah. all had a different way, you know? it's there. I don't think there will ever be a, you know, I was not, what's the opposite of surplus? Uh, de- uh, deficit? Deficit. No. Yes, we did it. We know words. Wow. There will never be a deficit of love and sex stories. Hopefully there's never a deficit of love and sex. Yeah, <laughs> in my pants. Quiet store. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> When it comes to picking out one story from Julia to highlight here, uh, it's a very, very hard choice. She tells a lot of really hilarious, warm, revealing stories. But this one from Kevin Allison's Risk Show is probably my favorite. It is so visceral and so sexual in a way that I promise you, unless you are a psychic or a very specific type of youth sex counselor, you will not see it coming. So sit back, brace yourself, and enjoy. The grind. When I was about eight, nine, ten, I'm not sure, it's pretty fuzzy, uh, I became obsessed with humping things. Uh, anything I could get my Esprit sweatpants on, I would hump um, pillows, side of the bed. Uh, all of my stuffed animals have been humped by me. Um, when I go home now and I see my stuffed animals still in my childhood bedroom, I feel like all their eyes are glaring at me being like, you slut, you know, every single one. Um, and I didn't really know what I was doing when I was humping things. Uh, I just knew that it uh, felt really good. Uh, and I kind of had assumed that I had invented it because nobody had told me about it. And then I started to think, oh my God, I invented it. When I grow up, I'm gonna write books about it. I'm gonna teach classes about it. I'm gonna have seminars all about it. Uh, But then uh, the fact that it 
involved my thingy. Uh, I knew that it was probably a bad thing to do, so I only did it at night when no one was around. That was until my mom purchased what, to this day, I will say, is the best sex toy in the world, um, a beanbag chair. Uh, <laughs> she bought this white, gorgeous, gorgeous beanbag chair, and uh, it was in the living room. And the way I discovered that it was a great uh, sexual partner was that one day I had stayed home from school, and I was watching different strokes. Uh, not, not a sexy show, but uh, I made it sexy. I, and I was sitting, I was sitting on the beanbag chair, kind of like this, like squatting on it, like a frog. And I was sitting on it, and it was the episode of Different Strokes where uh, Arnold and Dudley got stuck in a haunted house. I don't know if anyone remembers this episode, but it was it was a scary episode, very special episode. And I I got scared because they were scared, and I kind of started tussling on the beanbag chair in fright. But then my tussling sort of turned into ecstasy tussling, and and before I knew it, I was like full on like fucking a chair and. <laughs> I don't remember if Dudley and Arnold ever got out of that haunted house, but I do remember something very special happened that day. Um, I, I want to say I fell in love. Uh, because every time I would go back to the chair, it sort of like stroke its pretend face or whatever and just do it. Um, but the problem was the chair was located in a very public part of the house, the living room, and I had already decided that it was reserved for special private time, but I didn't care, because this chair was so good to me that I would just find ways to like sneak in a hump even if someone could walk by. Maybe the risk part of it sort of turned me on as well at age 10. Uh, like I even knew what that meant. But And I didn't even, didn't even take a lot for me to want to do this thing. Uh, I remember one time I was humping the chair um, while watching that show Out of This World, and my dad walked by, and I remember like I was like mid, you know, grind or whatever, and I really wish I could have done that finger pointing thing that Evie would do to her boyfriend, and just like pause time and get off the chair so my dad wouldn't notice. Um, and I still don't know if my dad ever noticed what I was doing, because then we had dinner after I watched Out of This World and got off, and my dad didn't say anything to me, but my dad doesn't really talk to me, so it was just like a regular dinner anyways. So... <laughs> And I would like, like this chair, I would think about it all day long. Like I would be in, cl like, I would be in class and one of my friends would be like, do you want to come over after school and play? I'd be like, no, I'm really busy. Humping furniture. Like I didn't care. I just wanted, couldn't wait to get home. My mom was thrilled that I wanted to be home all day. And I was like, you don't even know. So I then met this girl and she basically ruined my, my love affair. Uh, she, her name was Jill. And, uh, and her mom had given her a book about sex. And uh, this book taught her all about sex, and she in turn taught me all about sex. And what she taught me uh, was about masturbating. And when she got to that chapter, she said, uh, Julia, do you know what masturbating is? I was like, yeah, totally. <laughs> of course. <laughs> no idea. She goes, well, it's when you touch your thing or you rub your thing against something and it feels good. You didn't do that, do you? And I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> Crazy. Why? She's like, oh, well, because it's really gross and you can get pregnant. <laughs> Clearly, Jill did not read the whole chapter. Um, I later found out, pre-Google research, looked in the encyclopedia, you can't get pregnant from, from doing it, but it was so gross. And I confirmed this fact by asking all my little girlfriends. I was like, you don't, like, touch your... And then they're like, ew, that's so gross. And I was like, yeah, totally. <laughs> like, dying inside. So upset. 
So I decided I had to quit. I had to quit this romance because the last thing a little girl wants to be is so gross. But I didn't know how to quit. I was like compulsed to just like, it was there in the living room just like asking for it. You know, like I just wanted, oh. And I would like pray to God. Like I literally would be like, please God, help me stop this thing, this thing I need so badly. And I thought it was going to stop when the chair broke. Um, the chair popped. I was the only one who sat on it. I was like, what, 80 pounds? Like, the seams popped. And I thought my mom was going to throw it away, but she's frugal. So instead of throwing it away, she put it in a trash bag. She was like, oh, you can still sit on it. Like, like as if it was still... So I would. So now I'm humping garbage, you guys. Like, I didn't care. Like, the plastic was all ripped. Like, it was just... But I eventually, I did, I did kind of lose interest. Uh, the more I got interested in boys, I got less interested in inanimate objects. And I was uh, interested in one boy in particular, this guy Rick. Um, and Rick was, he was a football player. Uh, he was very popular. Uh, I gave him my first hand job during the movie Mighty Ducks 2. Um, he was a great guy. And he was... Um, he was black, and I only mention this because I grew up in like a very white suburb, and he grew up in a more urban part of the city. And whenever he would call, like my mom would be like, "Julia, Rick's on the phone." I would like run to my CD, uh, my CD player, and like take out my Poison and Warrant CDs and throw in like SWV and Jodeci and Silk, and like have the phone kind of like pass the CD player to be like, "Hey, just listen to some Urban Jams," you know, like <laughs> so I could have like hot street cred at like age. 15 or whatever. <laughs> so I would do this and I would have this like, like R&B music playing in the back. One night we were on the phone and he was like, I was just talking and he was like, oh, so, so what, what, what's, what's going on? And I was like, oh, you know, I just had some pizza, whatever. And he's like, uh-huh. And I was like, what, what are you? He's like, just keep talking. And I was like, uh, okay, about New Zeke, have pants at the mall. And he was like, and I was like, what are you doing? He was like, oh, okay, thank you. And I was like, what, what just happened? He's like, oh, I just jerked off while you were talking. And I was like, what? Why didn't you even say anything sexy? And he was like, it's just your voice. What, you don't, you don't touch yourself? And I was like, ew, no, that's so gross. Like, why would you accuse me of such a thing? He's like, well, you really should. I'm like, I absolutely couldn't. That's crazy. And he's like, do it. <laughs> How never was this as like sexy? urban voice and like like the sounds of like silks freak me baby oh yeah like playing in the background but I was like alright alright I'm gonna do this and I did and since then I have proudly admitted to doing quote unquote it uh, however I haven't done it with a beanbag chair ever since and I just say it was really funny because uh, my, mom, my mom eventually threw away the pile of garbage probably about 10 13 years ago I'm not sure and, um, but not too long ago, I didn't even know they sold beanbag chairs anymore, but uh, she replaced it with a brand new, ironically, black beanbag chair <laughs> that is sitting in our living room, uh, total virgin, untouched. And I gotta say, <laughs> I, I was just home two weeks ago, I'm not even kidding. I like walked by it and I was like, hey, what's up? And the chair was like, hey. And like, my stomach dropped, like. I couldn't believe it was there, just like, you know, and to this day, I haven't been with a, a better lover. I will say that. Thank you. Well, first of all, no one speaks of SWV enough. 
anymore. <laughs> S S double double. Oh God. Oh God, I love them. Um, so are your parents familiar with your stories? Have they heard some of your stories and what do they think? Um, well, okay. Okay, a couple things. My so my dad, not really. Um, I think he's a little they may think he's definitely uncomfortable with the idea of hearing me talk about dating and sex and all that stuff. Not that that's the only thing I talk about, but um my mom so well two things with her so she uh I did uh, I recorded a story for uh Comedy Central's This Is Not Happening a few months ago and I was trying to decide between the grind or a story about poop. And I decided to ask my mom her opinion because I want her to watch it when it's it airs. And I and I had to be like, well, I have this one story about this like poop incident, but I have this other story about, uh, well, remember that beanbag chair? And I thought she was gonna be horrified. She goes, yeah. And I'm like, I used to like sit on it and like rub against it and like felt really good. I'm like, did you ever notice? She goes, oh, I had no idea. Uh, uh. And she just like she laughs like the count from Sesame Street. And she, perf- she was like, tell. She's like, don't tell the poop one. My mom's really, really clean, like OCD Ooh. clean. And so it's so funny because like she was encouraging me to talk about masturbating. Why do you think that so many sex stories that you hear on stage and on podcast are specifically about clumsy, awkward, unsatisfying, embarrassing sex? Because sex is clumsy, awkward, embarrassing. I mean, it's not always bad, mm-hmm. but when you really think about what sex is, it's icky. It's your body part and my body part mushing together, trying to do weird things. There's liquids. It's really the weirdest thing. Those things don't belong in that place. But I do, like, <laughs> like sometimes, like, I think, like, I want to hear someone tell a story about, like, amazing sex with someone really hot and just hear an audience of people like, ah. Oh. Well, I think, I think that does work if there is, you know, if it's the story of, like, the unlikely hero getting the hot person or, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. the crush from afar and then this person, you know, gets fired from their job and they break their leg and then they get banged by the other crush they've had forever. I think there has to be sort of a uh, rooting for the person to get the hot person. So I don't think a story about good sex is off the table or if it's like an awakening, like those stories I think work. But I think if you were to just go up there, especially if you're like adorable, as the two of us are, you can't see it, but Google these (laughs) names, uh, and you're like, Oh my God, I had the best sex ever last night. And I'm also in a really great monogamous, happy relationship. We were like, bye. But I think it could work though if it was like what I said, there was some sort of a mission or a goal or you know what I mean? Mm. Like that the audience is rooting for you to win or achieve or get revenge or whatever it is. Mm. That's usually what it, and that's not, that's not a requirement for every story, but it works. Julia Rossi, thank you so much for coming thank and talking. Thank you. This was great. Bye. Bye. Julia Rossi was so great to talk to. I will have you know that she proceeded to mount every piece of furniture in my den and dining room afterward. On this episode, you heard The Grind, 
by Julia Razi, recorded at the Risk Show. Stories in Session is produced by me, David Crabb, Morgan Jones, Rachel Hamburg, Jesse Rogala, and Tyler Dorson. Our theme song is by the band Mono Gold. Thank you so much for listening. This is David Crabb, and here we are. We made it to the end of an episode together. This leads me to believe that you really like where you and I are going, uh, that you're in it for the long haul, uh, that you feel connected um, intellectually, maybe emotionally, maybe sexually to me. Who knows, really? I'm just a voice in your ear. But if you like the show, and I think you do, could you do us a big favor? Tell your friends about it. Um, Leave us a rating and review on iTunes. Um, Tweet about us. We are at SIS underscore show. Um, Take pictures and Instagram them and tag us in that. We're at Stories in Session. Uh, Go to our Facebook page. Maybe you want to share your own story. It's at Stories in Session too. Uh, Tell us how you like the show. Maybe share a personal story, a little essay you wrote that an episode of ours reminded you of. Do you see how that works? It's a give and take. And I want you to know that I'm in this with you. And, uh... I have big feelings for you. That's it. Okay. Bye-bye.